Hey everyone, it's Hamish from the Young Investors Podcast. Myself and Brandon are excited to bring you your weekly rundown of the latest business and investing news from around the world. Now, a quick reminder before we get into the podcast is that nothing in this podcast should be taken on as personal financial advice. If you're ever unsure about your finances or investing, make sure you reach out to a qualified financial advisor. But with that said, let's get into another episode of the Young Investors Podcast. All right, guys, welcome back to, what do we call this thing again? The Young Young Investors Podcast. Podcast. That's right. (laughs) It might, uh, (laughs) how are you going, Hamish? Yeah, I'm doing well. Yeah, going well. It's been, I had a couple of videos do pretty well, but the thing with having videos do well is every next one, there's just this bigger, at least Mm. a personal expectation to have an idea that's on par or better than previously and to edit it and to produce it on par or better than previously. And it's always something Mm. I struggle with, which is like, I have videos that do well. I'll have maybe like two or three in a row that do well. And then I just like, I get blocked because every time I come up with an idea, I'm like, nah, it's not good enough. Like I have to scrap that. It's not good enough. Yeah. Yeah. I need to get past it. I just need to like put the next thing out and just keep, keep moving. What you, your problem as well, I'm going to call you out for this, is when you have a really high performing video is that you also just like, ah, Job done. Yeah. But it's like, (laughs) no, I do do that. But it is, it's a combination of like, I'm still doing work. I'm still coming up with ideas, Mm. but I just like always get blocked at like the early stages of the video. So it's not like I'm doing absolutely nothing. It's just like the ideas that I'm coming up with, I'm just not like excited about them. Because the videos that do really well for me are ones where I come up with an idea, I'm super excited about it. And it's just like, I don't want to do anything until it's done. Even if it's, you know, a fair few days that it takes me to put it together. So I need to get better at just like pushing through, even if I'm not super excited about the idea. I think that's mm. like my my biggest problem. But yeah, you're right. I that's that's my channel. I if think- you look at my chart, it's like big spike. And then where's Hamish? Is he gonna post? Is he gonna post this week? He must post next week. Is he gonna post the week after that? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's so funny, so yeah, true. Yeah. I guess the one thing that I I mean I would be the same because you see the massive bump on analytics and you're like, oh. It's all good. It's all good. I think that's that's like half of YouTube. It's just like it's just like saving yourself. Just like <gasps> quick, bump the stats up again. <laughs> and then when you like when your stats are back up again, you're like, oh, thank goodness. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think the one thing that has has helped me kind of combat your issue is having the boys here yeah. um, editing because I know I, I'm I'm like um, I'm someone that you know if I'm spending money. I'm like, what am I getting for it? Like, what I'm watching, yeah. watching the dollars. And if these boys don't have something to edit, then they're still getting paid. Yeah. But I, I have to pay them. But they're just, they've got nothing to edit. So it makes me, it forces me to like do the next video, which is good because it means we have a much more consistent content schedule, which, which is it's it's good for YouTube. Mm. But uh, I definitely get what you what you mean, and and especially mm. when the the other thing that gets me is when something happens suddenly that you want to make a video on and you're like, oh, quick news, and you jump on it and you spend, you know, it's maybe not the craziest, most in-depth video you could have made, but you you want to talk about something and Mm. you maybe make the video across the next five hours and you put it up and it does really, really well. And then the one that you slave over for four weeks and you make it absolutely perfect and it just flops. Yeah. They're the ones that get me... Yeah, there's just so many elements like that are involved and it's crazy how much a good idea can carry a video that might not be as produced as as other videos. Like it's crazy how much yeah. if something is really desired to be watched and you package it well, uh, even if you spend maybe three quarters of the time on it versus something else, it can just do so much better. But then the other mm. thing is also true. Like you need to keep people engaged. So if you can kind of, when you hit those two things together, a good idea and is well produced, it's just, it's just beautiful. It's yeah. a good thing. It's like, oh, <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Um, Hamish, I was looking through the news of the week. Yeah. And I have to say... <laughs> Sometimes we talk about dry weeks. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. I think at this within like two, the space of two minutes, we both messaged each other, being like, "There's nothing on here." I messaged you. I didn't even see your message yet. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. "Yeah, this week is dry." But when it's dry, I you can always find a crazy case of fraud somewhere, and I found one. <laughs> <laughs> whether it's a whether it's a deli uh, a, a meat deli yeah. in uh, in New Jersey or, or some other fraud that we've spoken about, I found one. So I've got a crazy okay. stock market fraud uh, news story that happened just over the last week. So we'll, we'll talk about right, that. And okay. there actually are a couple of other little 
tidbits here and there. But, we did yeah. we did some digging. I'm going to talk about the US <laughs> Consumer Confidence Report, which is kind of like an interesting survey. It's it's nothing like <clears throat> it's not like inflation statistics or anything like that. It's actually just what do US consumers think, right. which is kind of interesting. So breaking down the psychology of that. Yeah. Um, I've also got. We'll talk about. Oh, we need to talk about this Mitch McConnell stuff. He just uh, he, he had a. Big big blunder again in the yeah. um, that was on Wednesday. So we'll talk about that. Yeah. Um, what else are you covering today? Uh, we've Hamish? got Australian inflation uh, and also another IPO. So the IPO market is in fact wow. very much heating up, and this one's a big one. So we'll talk about that uh, a little bit later in the podcast. But with that said, uh, today's episode is brought to you by Seeking Alpha, your one-stop shop for stock analysis, market data, and news. Access expert analysis and news for thousands of stocks. View buy, hold, and sell ratings from members, Wall Street analysts, and Seeking Alpha's own algorithm. Screen for stocks using a variety of fundamental and technical analysis metrics. Access 10 years of fi- uh, financial data and company filings. And manage your portfolio by tracking your investments with price alerts so you never miss a buying opportunity again. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, click the link in the episode description or head directly to seekingalpha.me forward slash young investors uh, to try Seeking Alpha free for 14 days. And uh, just that uh, a, a special deal from Seeking Alpha that just started a couple of days ago, I believe. Uh, for the next couple of weeks, you can get a $50 off coupon uh, off your yearly um, subscription when you sign up using our link. So that's seekingalpha.me mm. forward slash young investors. Um, they actually didn't tell me how long they're going to do this promotion for. They just said a couple of weeks. So, right. um, yeah, if jump you're interested, on jump on it. Um, and, yeah, hopefully you guys um, in- enjoy uh, that deal. Yep. Little little carrot. So definitely jump on If you're on the fence, then, I mean, now's the time. You get $50 off. It's pretty handy. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Um, okay, Hamish. Um, I want to talk to you about this Mitch McConnell stuff. Yes. Um, this this is really interesting. Did you see the first one? I the saw, first incident? Yeah, yeah, so I saw the first one. So I don't know what he was actually talking about, but he... I'm th- hopefully I'm thinking about the same thing. He stood up on stage yep. and was talking about something and he just kind of froze up and someone had to kind of yep. come and like take him away. Totally froze up, couldn't talk, was kind of stuck in a loop um, and yeah, had to had to be kind of taken away and the press conference was, was uh, done. I can't quite remember. I think later on they said, oh yeah, saw his physician, no no worries, he's back at it. And, and he was back at it. Right. Um, and then it happened again. On Wednesday. Oh. So, yeah, the same thing, which is definitely uh, concerning. Um, and I hope I hope he's doing all right, like, regardless of uh, your political biases. Of course, um, yeah. Yeah, ho- hope he's doing all right. But uh, in a press conference on Wednesday, the Senate Minority Leader had another freezing episode. He was asked about running for re-election, and he struggled to hear the question, asked if they could repeat it multiple times, and then he froze up for about 30 seconds. Uh, a member of his staff then approached to help out, and he was pretty honestly, he was pretty unresponsive, even when uh, she asked if he had heard the question. Wow. Uh, of course, yeah, we know that McConnell suffered a similar episode uh, on July 26th in Washington, uh, where he froze and was briefly unable to speak at a news conference. Uh, Mitch McConnell is 81 years old, and unfortunately, it again sparks the debate of you know whether there needs to be better medical oversight on who is allowed to hold a position of political power in the United States. Yeah. Um, it, it, yeah, yeah. It is odd to, it is odd to see um, because often these kind of events happen and then, you know, people talk about it a bit, but then they just continue on with their work. It's not like they take, 
any any leave as far as I can tell. I haven't noticed, you know, Joe Biden, for example, he's had a number of stumbles and messing mm. up his sentences, but I've never really noticed. Maybe he does take leave. I'm actually not sure. But uh, normally there would be a pretty clear assessment, especially for a job that's very, very important. Like if you were the CEO of a company, for example, like the board would be all over that um, mm. in a very, very yeah. serious way. And, you know, arguably, you know, not arguably, it is more important than people running the country. So uh, mm. there should be some significant, you know, yeah, something there. I don't know. It's it's strange to see because yeah. it, it's not just um, Mitch McConnell. It's yeah, as I said, it's Joe Biden, and then Joe even, Biden even as well. Donald Trump had his fair share of things as well. So it's mm. it's happening quite frequently um, with these important people, um, you know, potentially having um, an inability to do their job at, at times. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Joe Biden is eighty years old yeah. uh, now, and here's the like the classic example. Like, yeah. uh, I'm I really. I'm not a political person. I don't have strong political biases one way or another. Um, yeah. But it is like an, a, another thing I should add is that we're also not American. <laughs> yeah. So it actually, yeah. it, it was like whatever we th- might think about US politics actually doesn't matter. It's no. not like we have a say in the matter where it's sitting over here in Australia. Yeah. But for, from my just perspective as, you know, a critical thinker, um, it, it is a bit concerning, I think, to see like Joe Biden is the class, classic example. Um, yeah. He definitely has moments where, like I said, no matter what you think about US politics, he's really struggling with his cognition. Yeah. Um, you know, and it, and it goes beyond just like, we laugh at some of the memes where he just reads things wrong off a teleprompter. I mean, that can happen to anyone. Hell, I've, I've read things <laughs> wrong off a teleprompter many, many times. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, yeah, it, it does it, it does get worrying where you can see it's not just a, a simple mistake, it's it's really a cognitive error. Like yeah. um a pattern like of errors. For as well. some, yeah. Sorry. A pattern of errors as well. Like it's a pattern it's of errors. Like this thing. is becoming a pattern with Mitch yeah. McConnell just freezing up and, and really not you know, not being himself. Yeah. Um Joe Biden having countless kind of errors where he just can't seem to work <clears> his way through even simple cognitive tasks. Like, unfortunately, yeah. that's just the reality. Yeah. It's very simple stuff. Like, so simple that we look at it and we can we can identify what he's trying to say or what he's trying to do. And the fact that yeah. he can't do it is, is quite concerning. And it's yeah. sad to see it get kind of politicized as well because, you know, the same people who when not to get too political, but the same people who when mm. Trump was in office were really pushing hard to say he was incompetent, mentally incompetent, basically. Maybe he should even be mm. impeached based on that. The same people who are in office now, like kind of like willfully blind to Joe Biden. Um, yeah. I'm not saying one was worse than the other or making any statement even like that, but you'd have to be yeah. crazy to to be pushing so hard on one person and then to see Joe Biden and just not be pushing this. So it's so obvious that, and it makes sense. I mean, it's their political leader, so they're not going to, be, I guess that's just how the, the, the game works. But it's kind of sad mm. to see that people just kind of go along these party lines and don't like view it objectively or just like kind of yeah. like, I don't know, view it <laughs> in, as the reality of what's happening. Um, mm. Yeah. So I read a stat from this article here. Uh, there's a, um, with the median age of 59 years old, the Senate, uh, the House and the Senate are older today than at any point in modern history. Wow. Yeah, so crazy. pretty crazy. So yeah, it, it definitely brings up the, the question of whether there should be some sort of, you know, age cap. Um, personally, I'm, I'm not in the boat that there needs to be an age cap. I don't think there should be age caps to anything in either direction. I don't mm. think, you know, besides perhaps being over the age of 18, being an adult um, for, yeah. for obvious, for some things. Like, I don't think there should be, a, you know, you shouldn't be allowed to be the president if you're 28 or if you're 35 or if you're 60, 70, even 80 years old. I don't think there should be an age restriction. But I think that there is a solid argument that there does probably need to be more rigorous cognitive testing yeah. of people that hold positions of, of power. Um, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know. Do, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I'm probably with you as well. I don't think there needs there has to be kind of an age limit. Um, I mean, there's plenty of people who are well into their 80s and are extremely competent. 
Yeah, um, I mean, a lot of the, the investors that we look up to are, are in their yep. 80s and 90s and are extremely sharp. So I don't think age is... Mm. And then there's, you know, people who will... It, it'll, they'll be less sharp by 70 or even, you know, like yeah. 60s or something, right? So it, it's different for each person. So you're right. I think it just needs to be a testing process. I don't think it's an age particular age yeah. like um, block off it's kind of the same way i feel about driving like i feel like once you get to a certain yeah. age maybe you should have to do like a test every couple of years or something just to make sure you've still got it i don't think you should be banned from driving when you reach a certain age but yeah. potentially like you should you know go through some some sort of testing just to make sure you're, you can you can still do it i think the same thing yeah. probably applies to this yeah yeah definitely um what else have i got uh uh uh, 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 uh. senator diane Feinstein of California, who at 90 is the oldest member of either party in Congress, has come under immense bipartisan scrutiny for continuing to hold her Senate seat despite a series of debilitating health issues. Uh, Feinstein was away from Washington for three months earlier this year while she recovered from shingles, uh, leaving Democrats down a vote in the Senate where members are not permitted to cast votes when absent. Right. So... So there you go. So there is like, if if it gets obviously, um, I feel for the this senator, but you know, if it gets bad enough where they are absent, it actually can have an adverse effect on their political party. So yeah, it's an interesting debate. Wow, it's an interesting debate. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess we'll see. Like, obviously, I hope uh, Mitch McConnell makes a a good recovery. But yeah, it definitely raises those questions again. What needs to be done? Because it's kind of crazy. Like when you see the leader of the United States talking and you're like wow like i i like i i can speak better than this guy yeah yeah. (laughs) when you see that happening then you're like oof geez it's not a great look and uh yeah there's an argument i guess as well where the president is just like the captain of a very large ship that has a very small rudder so it probably doesn't actually matter that much but tend to be more of a spokesperson than anything yeah but, but yeah. you need someone on the off chance that some critical decision comes down, something really big, whether it's to participate in a war or something like that. And you need somebody, yeah. even those decisions, they're probably still getting advised. No, they're definitely but massive advisory of panels course, on it. But yeah. you still hope, I guess, that you've got someone with a strong grounding yeah. in rationale to to make, you know, or to, to take on that advice um, and not to just be like, okay, yes, but like to actually be able mm. to critically think about important decisions. But... Maybe yeah. that's asking too much. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, maybe it is. Who knows? All right. Let's, America uh, can, be, can be described in a single word, Hamish. All right, moving on. Yeah, let's, uh, let's talk what, about the... What, what do you got? Let's talk about the IPO market um, because okay. uh, what did we have? We had one fairly recently. It was, was it that Vietnamese auto company? Yeah, was that EV... The- EV company. Yep. Was that, were they listing in in the US or was that an American? I think so. Listing? I think that was that the SPAC, the one that got that was um, a SPAC. brought on to the right. Yeah, through okay. a SPAC. I was yeah. going to say because this was uh, reported by CNBC, this IPO, as the first uh, significant VC backed IPO since December 2021. Um, so that makes sense because what we spoke about a couple of weeks ago was not technically an IPO. They did a, a yep. special purpose acquisition company, which is kind of a Secret backdoor. That roundabout way. It's a roundabout way for companies to, to go public. But the traditional way is to do an initial public offering. And uh, the company doing so uh, later this year uh, is Instacart. Um, so Instacart's a, a kind of a, a grocery delivery and pickup service in the US. It was founded in 2012. And it's kind of like, it's kind of like Uber Eats, but just focusing on kind of grocery stores, essentially. Um, pickup delivery from, mm. from grocery and convenience stores. Um, so the, uh, the tech delivery company is set to IPO on the NASDAQ in, uh, September. It was announced this week. Um, and, uh, it's an interesting company because a lot of the time you get really early stage companies IPOing and they are relatively yep. young, but they're 11, 11 years old and they actually have a reasonable business behind them. Um, so, right. okay. uh, in 2022, they generated $2.55 billion of revenue. Um, which is small in the, in the in 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 the scheme of the market. So the Uber, for, by comparison, did thirty two billion dollars in twenty twenty two. So they're quite a bit smaller right. than Uber, um, but they're you know reasonable size. They have uh, seven million monthly active orders uh, that come from five thousand five hundred participating stores, uh, and they essentially just mm-hmm. make money the same way most of these kind of apps make money. They take a percentage of sales from grocery stores. 
Um, but unique right. to Instacart in some ways is they actually have a really strong in-app advertising business, which uh, Uber and, and these other businesses do have in-app advertising for stores to get their shops to like kind of the top of the of the search results. Uh, but Instacart in particular has a very strong one. Uh, they have $406 million of ad revenue in the first half of this year. Um, so they actually have a big advertising business. $406 million in a half year is, is kind of crazy. Wow. Yeah. So, um, so how do they how do they run it? So is it like kind of a Google search functionality where businesses pay to be at the top, or is it actually advertising? Yeah. Ex- yeah. Exactly. It's just paid paid search results. Um, they might yeah, have other types okay. of advertising. I haven't. I don't use the app. It's only in the U.S. and Canada, so I actually I don't I don't know what kinds yeah. of ads they serve yeah, specifically. It, but yeah. Um, yeah, that's kind of the the main type of ad that these apps have, which is just allow you to get to the top because there are so many. Yeah restaurants on these apps now um it can be hard to get noticed it's it's interesting it's kind of a new dynamic in the same way that google Mm. search was this new dynamic where like in the early days there wasn't actually that many it was kind of easy to get your your store or your website to the top uh naturally now there's so much competition that you maybe want to pay to get advertising on search so uh it's a natural Mm. component of these businesses i think yeah yeah yeah, interesting. Um, and it's actually profitable uh, as well, which is, you know. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> oh, let's, let's just back that up a second. Yeah. <clears throat> You're telling me, sitting here on the 31st of August, 2023, that an IPO is a profitable business? Actually makes money. <gasps> well, let me tell you. This IPO is going to flop. <laughs> yeah. this, this people, flop. people don't want it. People don't want this. They don't want no. it. They don't want. They don't want reputable businesses that make money. No, 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 no. no. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. So yeah, they're actually profitable, which is surprising because even Uber Eats isn't profitable as a segment of um, Uber's business. But uh, they've been profitable for five straight quarters, and last quarter was 114 million dollars. So there you go. They're making right. a little bit of money. Um, but yeah. when we compare that to their private valuation things get a little bit wonky, which they tend to do, unfortunately, with uh, IPOs. Yeah. Um, even if they do produce a bit of profits, generally the market is very, very, uh, e- even you know, venture capital investors are usually very willing to pay extreme multiples, extremely high prices mm. for some of these businesses. Yeah. Tell me about it. What was the valuation in the end? Yeah. So, well, we don't know. So the, the, in terms of public valuation, we don't know yet because they're going to go public in September and we actually don't really have any details at all um, yet. So we don't have an oh, right. expected uh, valuation, but I can give you some of the private valuations. Right. So they've obviously raised capital yeah, yeah. while private. Um, so they don't get a constant stock update when they're private, of course. But every time mm. someone invests, they pay a certain amount for a certain percentage and therefore we can calculate what the latest value is essentially for the company. Yeah. Um, so in 2021, and this is when um, uh, venture capital was just thriving. There was, was all kinds of crazy stuff going on in 2021. Uh, the company was valued privately at $39 billion. So, wow. And that's uh, back at a time when they were not profitable. Uh, and I would imagine revenue was quite a bit smaller. So they used to be valued $39 billion. Uh, in March of 2022, uh, it was slashed to uh, $24 billion. So started to cool off and investors started to get a little bit more realistic about maybe what this company's valued at. Uh, mm-hmm. A couple months later, towards the end of 2022, it was slashed another 50% to $12 billion. And, uh, and that's, that's where we're at. So um, This is proving my thesis, Hamish. What's your thesis? So what, what, <laughs> what you're telling me is that as the company's financials have improved over time, yeah. investors now think that the company is worth less. Yeah. Told you. Yeah. Told you. They, for, and this is, this is classic. This is classic, you know, what, what, what's the management team doing? If they're going to IPO, <laughs> in fact, maybe they can, hmm, I'm sure they can spend some more money, maybe do, I don't know. They just need to spend a lot of money to get rid of that profit so yeah. that when they IPO, they can, uh, they can raise more. They need to do marketing. They need to spend $2. Ma- oh. They spend $2 on mark, $2 for every $2 Zing. of marketing, get a dollar in revenue. And that means, you know, every nice. time they do that, they're losing a dollar, but their revenue will be higher, their growth will be faster, and their valuation will mm. be higher. And then they get more money exactly. that they can spend on marketing. And it's definitely not a Ponzi yep. scheme because then that creates more growth with less profitability, and then they raise more money, yep. and then they put it into market. It's not a Ponzi scheme. It's real. It's just, it's just, Hamish, genius. Yeah. So um, if you're the CEO of uh, of this company, what was it called? Instacart. Instacart. Um, if if you want us to come on as head of 
marketing. <laughs> <laughs> just just call us up. No, this is this. Yeah, this is crazy. Well, it, uh, it is kind of like, of course, we're having a joke, but yeah. it is kind of funny how a lot of, so yeah. many so many IPOs the last few years have just been such just well not. I won't go so far to say rubbish companies, but um, companies that are certainly not making any money. Yeah. Well, just a lot of unproven, yeah. unproven money going, uh, uh, an it's enormous guessing, amount yeah, of money going into unproven business models, a disproportionate yeah. amount going uh, that that really shouldn't be shouldn't be there. Um, yeah, and like uh, you should be like, oh, okay, cool, whatever. You know, it's actually like an unfathomable amount of money going into these like unprofitable businesses over the last few years. Yeah. So crazy, yeah. crazy. And it's funny, talk, yeah. kind of talking about marketing because. Um, you might be wondering if they're profitable, why go public, right? Like, you know, a lot of companies, they go public to raise capital, to raise an enormous amount True. of money. That's that's what an IPO is, initial public offering. They're offering stock to the public for the first time, raise a bunch of money and they can use that to grow. So why do it? Um, and one, you know, probably a core reason is they can still raise more capital and, and use that to fund faster growth. And it also allows them yep. over time to then access more funding, right? It's not just the initial public offering. Companies can then raise capital later um, from the public markets. Um, but it's also likely, and this was kind of speculated by the Business Insider article I was reading, that uh, a lot of companies, even if they're profitable and they don't really need outside capital, They'll go public because it gives kind of a consistent stream of publicity that just helps to drive more people to use the app. Uh, So more people are talking about public companies because you have these kind of quarterly filings coming out every quarter. So people are talking about the business. So it's just more free marketing um, that businesses tend to have. And and that's ultimately, I'm sure, plays a role in why most of the, well, not most, like pretty much all the biggest companies in the world are public. Um, There are exceptions to that, but certainly most Big companies, yeah, probably a bit of like perceived credibility, I guess. It's like, exactly. oh, do you use uh, Instacart? Yeah, I, they they're like a public company yeah. now, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like listed on the uh, on whatever on the Nasdaq, you know? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, so there you go. That's that's pretty much it. So yeah, I think later in the year, well, we're kind of close to September now, but we'll as mm. we get closer to the to the date, we'll get some estimates of where they think they'll they'll go public. Um, I'm pretty sure they didn't even release yet how much they expect to raise or anything like that either. So right. we'll, we'll okay. find out a bit more about that uh, next month and then we can talk about it. It'll probably go up a bunch on IPO and then we can slowly watch it decline 90% like every other IPO. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Buy in and then short. Yeah, exactly. I wonder, I wonder if you... <laughs> <laughs> Buy and make your money, get out and short. I wonder if you applied that to every IPO over the last, like, I don't know, four years, how much money you'd make. Yeah, anyway. well, it's funny because it's so volatile, right? Like, I think 2021, yeah. everything just surged, right? Like, I, yeah. I, don't, I don't think there was a stock, the, an IPO that had a bad first couple of days in, in 2021. Yeah. Like, it was just up 100%, up 40%. But then, yeah, mm. more recently, we've just seen that, that absolutely decimated. So, it is funny. If, if you had, if you had I wonder- taken... Yeah, go on. I was going to say, you take all the IPOs, yeah. <laughs> US IPOs that have happened since 2019 and you apply the strategy, buy on day one, hold for, I don't know, three months. Let's say hold mm. for three months and then sell and then short <laughs> like, and then hold you short. I wonder like what, what sort of return you'd come out with. Yeah, I think you've done pretty well. The, the, the only thing is if, you, if you're shorting something and then it actually rockets, yeah. you're gone. Yeah. The whole portfolio is decimated, which obviously yeah. does happen. <laughs> very true. Very true. Uh, interesting. Okay. Another IPO to watch. Oh, yeah. Get excited, everybody. Yeah, we love them. Um, oh, actually, one thing. I, have, I, have I told you my... Uh, Uber One experience. On, have I told this story on the podcast? No, already? I don't think so. I I figured out why Uber makes no money <laughs> because Uber <laughs> One is just way too good. <laughs> have you used it before? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's in. Okay. It's in. Ins- Do you have it now? Uh, I don't have it now, but it's an insane right. deal if you're using it like a reasonable amount. Like it's just crazy how much they must be losing on that. But what's your experience yeah, with yeah. it specifically? Like groceries so my experience- and that sort of thing. So Uber One is this monthly subscription service for Uber, right? Costs $10 a month here in Australia. And then when I, I, I don't use it for rides. I really, I just drive around Canberra. I, I'm not traveling that much at the moment. I use it for Uber Eats. And every day it seems they're spitting new deals at you. But the deals are actually really good. <laughs> mm. Like 
I, I looked on the weekend and one of the deals I had was spend $50 on groceries and spend only uh, only spend 30 so save $20. So I was just like to mum, hey, hey mum, do you have any groceries that you want me to, to, to get delivered to? And so we loaded up the cart with um, $50 worth of groceries. We checked the prices of the, of the goods as well, make sure they weren't just like overpriced to make up for the difference. But sure enough, they were fairly priced, got $50 worth of groceries and got it delivered for 30 bucks. Yeah. It's pretty good. The other day, we uh, I was sitting here late in the office uh, with JJ and we're just looking at the deals and I got like two big things of noodles, like big, big things of noodles from Walk It Up. And um, it costs... JJ, what did the... What did the um, the noodles cost in the end? Did I say it was like twenty bucks? I was like, it wasn't. Yeah, it was dirt cheap. It was just yeah. amazing. Yeah, it's like the if you're ordering on Uber Eats, it's like normally pretty expensive. But it, it, especially mm. if you're getting, but if you're gonna do it like once a week anyway, like you're probably saving like six, seven dollars on delivery now if you get Uber One. And if you do that every week for a month, then Uber is just in the red. Yeah. Like they're, they're just losing on you. Like, sure, you, you maybe you shouldn't be ordering Uber Eats all the time. But from their perspective, they're getting $10 instead of $5 every time you order something on a delivery. Well, they're not getting it. It's a delivery fee. But they still have to make that up themselves. So it makes no sense. It makes I mean, it makes perfect sense that they're losing yeah. a ton of money on Uber Eats. <laughs> and I don't know how that even like, like, how does that, like, I just don't get how that works. Like, I just, I don't get how their math works. I guess they would need a lot of people to have Uber One, but not use it to make up for the mm. people who use Uber Eats a lot and are, they're clearly losing money on those people. So th- that's the math, I guess. Um, uh, can those people subsidize the the heavy users? But I don't know. It just doesn't seem like it makes any sense considering no. how much it costs every time uh, to, to just for delivery fees and that sort of thing. It's, um, yeah. I don't so really get it. he... he Here's another one. I got two big chicken burgers, right? Yeah. Two big chicken burgers with a small thing of chips, okay, uh, each. That was for myself and Claude. And it was delivered to me here in the office. Mm. And guess how much that would that, that cost me overall? I don't know. What, so was it two meals? It's probably normally two, would two be like Two big chicken burgers $40. and a side of chips. 40 <laughs> Uh It cost me $5.59. <laughs> That's crazy. That's insane. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I wonder why Uber's uh, not making any money. Yeah. Oh, that's why. I've been saying this for ages. <laughs> Uber Eats is a terrible business. Yeah. It's a terrible yeah. business. Um, it, the economics are just bad. Uh, there's just too many people that need to be, get paid. Uber, the driver, yeah. the restaurant. There's too many people that need to get paid for what people are willing to for pay. For what it is. For what, for what it yeah. is, yeah. Like cold food. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> for the for the for the low for the low total that you're you're dealing with. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, very interesting. Anyway, um another one I found was DoorDash. I got uh, two two chicken burgers from Red Rooster the other day for two dollars. Mm. So wow. that's some good deals yeah, on there. You know as well. what? We used to have Deliveroo in Australia. It's like a UK yeah. based um a delivery company and they had free delivery for a while. So I was using that for ages and then they went bankrupt. So um <laughs> It was the you, Hamish. <laughs> yeah, like, this guy's got to slow down. <laughs> yeah. he, he's speeding up. On, <laughs> on every quarterly earnings call, they had to they had to talk about you. Yeah. The analyst would come on and be like, um, can we just get an update on uh, yeah, Hamish on, Hodder? On Client X. Like, <laughs> yeah. He's running uh, 400 is, million is in still- losses. <laughs> Uh, he's ordering food for the whole of Australia every single day. <laughs> How can he's one man eat this much? <laughs> that's really funny. Uh, dear, oh dear. Anyway, um, that's a little sidetrack. Um, so yes, Instacart, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> take us, uh, take us through this. Uh, take us through this uh, U.S. consumer confidence report. I'm curious to see. So is it kind of like a like a survey of of yeah. households of sorts? Yes, yeah, it's, it's just like a survey. It's okay. just a survey of, of consumers and they just ask them questions. What do you think about X? What do you think about Y? Yep. And uh, so it's not it's not actually grounded in hard economic data. Yep. It's, uh, it is exactly as the name suggests. It is a confidence survey. So it says here, the consumer confidence survey reflects prevailing business conditions and likely developments for the months ahead. This monthly report uh, details consumer attitudes, buying intentions, vacation plans, and consumer expectations for inflation, 
stock prices and interest rates. So the consumer uh, board, sorry, the conference board consumer confidence index declined in August to a value of 106.1 from a downwardly revised 114 in July. So what does that mean for context? So it's at 106 right now. For context, in the first half of 2020, coronavirus, stock market falling, um, the index fell to around 85. Right. And uh, and during the stimulus-fueled excitement of 2021, it rose to about 130. So you got 85 okay. low and 130 on the high end. Yeah. And right now, we're just declining a little bit down to 106 from 114. Yeah. Um, Overall, we've seen a downward trend since 2021 when it was high, obviously. Uh, but across the last 12 months or so, we have seen things been stabilizing, coming back up. So that's mm. what the trend has been looking like. So it's interesting that, yeah. th- that this month we've seen a bit of a decline. That's in- that, yeah, that, that's some helpful context to give us kind of a band of like where it where the number yeah. normally sits. Because I guess, yeah, first half of 2021, 85 that's probably as maybe as low as you're going to see it over yeah. the next decade. First half of 2020. I mean, unless we – first half of 2020, yeah. So I, yeah. I, that's kind of as prob- – I would imagine as bad as – I'd, I'd be interested to see <laughs> how bad it got in like 2008 – um, mm. But I would imagine that's kind of the lot. <laughs> like it was pretty bad yeah, uh, for consumer yeah, confidence yeah. during that time. So, but yeah. it's interesting to see that they're still. It's still like quite above, um, kind of the middle part of uh, that uh, range you gave yeah. us. Um, interesting. It's, yeah, and it has been helped out a lot in the last twelve months or so. It's bounced out up right. quite significantly. I guess that makes sense. It's all the. I mean, the stock market's gone up as well, and all that's sorts true. of things. Yeah. Um, consumer, quote, consumer confidence fell in August 2023, raising back-to-back increases in June and July, said Dana Peterson, chief economist at the conference board. August's disappointing headline number reflected dips in both the current conditions and expectations indexes. So it also asked them about expectations of the future. Um, write-in responses showed that consumers were once again preoccupied with rising prices in general and for groceries and gasoline in particular. The pullback in consumer confidence was evident across all age groups and most notable among consumers with household incomes of $100,000 or more, as well as those earning less than $50,000. Confidence held relatively steady for consumers with incomes between those two numbers. Wow. Um, So we've also got uh, some interesting stats on so the present situation, what's happening right now, and then also people's expectations of the future. So I just wanted to run through a few of them that they quote. So consumers' assessment of current business conditions was slightly less positive in August. You have uh, 20.7% of consumers said that business conditions were good and 17.2% said business conditions were bad. Um, So that's quite interesting. Hmm. Uh, consumers' appraisal of the labour market deteriorated in August. So 40.3% of consumers said that jobs were plentiful, which was down from 43% in July. Uh, and then 14% of consumers, 14.1% of consumers said jobs were hard to get, up from 11.3%. Wow, yeah. So, so that still leans... A little bit of a change in the labour market. Yeah, it still leans very heavy towards um, being a kind of a hot labour market. Um, but yeah. trending in yeah. somewhat of a more normal direction, I would, I would imagine. Yeah. It's a stark <laughs> difference when you see like 20% said that business conditions are good, 17% said they were bad, mm. and then you get 40% of people saying, yeah, jobs are plentiful. <laughs> yeah. So it's a, it's a bigger bigger difference. Uh, let's talk about, okay, expectations six months hence. Yeah. So consumers were less optimistic about the short-term business conditions, uh, uh, the, yeah, t- short-term business conditions outlook in August. 16.2% of consumers expect business conditions to improve, down from 17.2% July. Meanwhile, 16.8% expect business conditions to worsen, up from 14.5%. Uh, consumers' short-term income prospects worsened in August. So 16.5% of consumers expect their incomes to increase, down from 17.8% in July. And 12.4% expect their incomes will decrease, which is up from 9.9%. So a little right. bit of a jump there as well. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Um, consumers' perceived likelihood of a US recession over the next 12 months ticked down in August to its lowest to the lowest level recorded thus far in 2023. Right. 
So 69% voted either very likely or somewhat likely for a US recession over the next 12 months versus 71% last month. The highest was uh, 73% back in May. That's still crazy. A, I guess <laughs> that's an insane percentage. Seventy percent think there's going to be a recession. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if that. I don't know what bias this would be. Yeah. But I wonder if it's kind of like if if you if you came out of the blue and said, um, "Hey, I just wanted to ask you a question. Um, what do you think the likelihood of a U.S. recession is in the next twelve months?" Is that kind of a bias where it's almost it sounds as though it's a preloaded question? Mm. Like, why are they asking me about whether there's going to be a recession in the next twelve months? Yeah, is there going to be a recession in the next twelve months? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I'm not sure what bias that might be, but the way you phrase a question can almost load it. I guess. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, maybe they. I don't. I don't know. I would have to look at you know. You'd have to kind of see how they 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 structured it. Whether they have ways to deal yeah. with that. They ask some people a certain way, and other people a different way, and then they kind of. Com- compare results to kind of uh, remove those biases. I'm sure they have some uh, mm. some things in mechanisms in place to only, reduce biases. The but, only other yeah. one to get specifically to that question would be, what do you think that the US won't be in a recession in the next 12 months? But then that's almost even more of a loaded mm. question. Yeah. Like, oh, I don't want to see. I don't want to seem like a dummy if I say no. Uh, yeah, you know. Yeah, so. it's tr- yeah, that's true. It's kind of tricky how to ask that question. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah I don't, I'm not sure. I don't know if if you're someone that um, designs scientific studies or surveys for a living, <laughs> definitely let us know the way around to these kind of biases because yeah. it does seem like I don't know personally. If I was on the street and someone said, "What do you think the likelihood is that? To, do you think it's likely that the US will be in a recession next year?" I I would probably my my own mental bias if I didn't know any better would probably be like. Oh, uh, mm, yeah, I, I guess so. <laughs> yes, probably just no, like, yeah. There must be a, there must be a reason they're asking me about U.S. recessions, right? Mm. You know. Yeah, it's an interesting point. Yeah, I hadn't, hadn't thought of that. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Anyway, um, uh, always, always love the daily upside for a bit mm. of humor added to it. <laughs> added to the article. Um, he said, but sentiment means diddly squat compared to actual spending. <laughs> uh, true, I guess. Even if it's increasingly going towards experiences over goods, experiences like, say, a trip to the Amalfi Coast. <laughs> in addition to nearly half of consumers expecting to travel in the next year, roughly 20% of consumers say their trips will be abroad. It's the highest ever share, uh, according to data going back to the 1970s. So people, uh, they're struggling, but they're still packing up and going for an overseas holiday. Yeah, I think we were talking about this last week, how like the Mm -hmm. Qantas record earnings, um, yeah, demand for travel in Australia is off the charts and it's just, it is kind of interesting. It's like you have these two conflicting views. It's like cost of living crisis and people struggling with all of these things and then you see, you know, companies like Qantas just posting (laughs) record numbers. Um, and you know, obviously there's, there's, you know, different breakdowns of different people and, and, and their, and how they're handling the cost of living crisis. But it is, there is like, there is a distinct kind of, uh, conflict of data that we're seeing at least some portion of, uh, of people in Australia and the U S are at least not phased too much about what's happening and are just mm. continuing to, to spend maybe even more than they normally would coming out of COVID. Uh, mm. I don't know, you know, what percentage of the population that is, but yeah, it seems like it's substantial proportion at least. And travel, it seems Hamish, to be that... one of those like big areas. Yeah. Yeah. Hamish, you have segued that perfectly for oh, me I? into this last point. <laughs> yeah, you did. It says here uh, from the article, uh, that dovetails with two major industries tied to tourism, airlines and hotels, which have lo- both largely rebounded from pandemic lulls. A Reuters analysis published earlier this summer of key hotel metrics in 15 major uh, metro US areas shows the industry has almost entirely recovered while airlines have expanded international routes to keep pace with US demand, wow. driven in part by a strong dollar. So you are absolutely yeah. correct, Hamish. There you go. Yeah. Um, there you go. Yeah, I don't know. It's a, but they, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I don't have too much to add on this. Um, <laughs> it, it is it is a dry week in, in the news, but um, interesting to have a look at what people think as well as what's actually happening, just what people think about some of these different uh, uh, economic conundrums situations i don't know how you say it i mean it can also be the case that people are struggling more but i I think often like if people just have more in their savings accounts maybe it's built up from COVID or something they're more likely to drain those before 
they actually cut back. Like people were very hesitant to cut back their lifestyle. Like they'll pre- they'll prefer to drain their savings before they start mm. to cut back. So we're potentially just seeing a, del- a, a lag as well in that that people are experiencing you know the 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 cost of living crisis, but um, as kind of slow to make those adjustments. I guess I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. They cut back once they've got no more money. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> they cut back because they've got yeah, no more money. Exactly. Yeah. 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 All right. Uh, uh, all right, Hamish, tell me about something. Yeah, let's. Uh, what you got? I, I found, as I said, at the, I promised at the beginning, I found an interesting case of fraud, which is always, um, Send it. always, always fun to talk about, and it's a, it's a doozy. It's, a, it's a doozy. So <laughs> it's, it's um, a doozy. Yeah. Uh, this is a story of. Uh, a fast food worker who tricked his broker into giving him hundreds of thousands of dollars to trade. Um, what? So it's a really interesting story, wow. and it's um, it, it's it's kind of crazy because the type of thing that he did, I'm sure he didn't th- think about it too much. Um, but it's actually a particular <laughs> scheme. Uh, that that oh, is a fairly okay. regular occurrence with the SEC that they actually have to kind oh. of uh, defend against. Um, so does it start with a P or is it a different scheme? It's not a Ponzi scheme. It is a different scheme. <laughs> <laughs> it is a different scheme. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Here we go. Uh, so 23-year-old uh, Dayton Anthony uh, was a part-time worker at Auntie uh, Annie's uh, pretzel shop. Um, and uh, essentially, uh, in July, he applied for a brokerage account and they didn't actually list who the broker was. Um I oh, guess maybe okay. for privacy reasons or something. But he applied for a brokerage right. account. And um, this is where his first fraud uh, began. He on, it, on the application, he said he earned... The first one? The, the, there's, yeah, there's a couple of moments of fraud. <laughs> oh, my God. All right, all right, all right. Um, so on the application, he said he earned twenty-five dollars to $50,000 a year when in reality he made $400 a month. Um, so, I mean, right. not an egregious lie, I guess. I mean... Like, uh, he didn't say he was making half a billion a year, but you can't lie. You can't lie. You can't lie on the brokerage application because they, of course, determine, use that to determine, you know, how much um, margin maybe you're able to access and, and other sorts yeah. of um, capital. Um, so after doing that, uh, he went on to link his bank account to his trading account, as you would. Um, although his bank account at the time only had nine cents in it. So... Might make you start to think, what, what was this guy planning? Like, how how was he planning on it trading with nine cents in his account? Um, so, uh, yeah, it was just very little money in his account. Um, but what mm. he did, which was, uh, as I was kind of alluding to, is this kind of a scheme called a free riding scheme, is he was able to initiate a deposit of a million dollars from his bank to the broker. And obviously, this tr- this, this deposit would fail. Um, because he doesn't have any money in his account, but he was able to initiate the deposit. So from the broker, he was able to to basically oh, pull money or right. tr- attempt to pull money uh, out of his bank account. And he attempted to do it, uh, and of course, it, it would fail. But it would take a day or so for the broker to go through the process and check and confirm the transaction before it would ultimately fail. And this is where the broker, uh, how the broker functions, kind of broke down. Uh, While the deposit was pending, the broker gave Anthony $200,000 in credit. So they essentially assumed that this would go through. Um, They kind of had his false income and this $1 million pending transaction or pending deposit. And because of those things, they ended up giving him $200,000 in credit immediately, uh, which they definitely shouldn't have done. And no, they he took not. that money and immediately used it to invest in eight stocks. And uh, <laughs> do you want to have a guess at what kind of this kind of person, what kind of stocks they might might be interested in? Oh gosh, it's got to be like well, if it's stocks, I, I would have said he'd like dump it in Bitcoin or something. But no, um, if it's stocks, it would have been just the I don't know, like meme stocks yep. or something. Give, give me, give me, yeah. give me a stock. Give me, give me, uh, give me GameStop. GameStop. He invested seventy eight thousand dollars into GameStop. Got any other guesses? AMC? AMC. He invested $13,000 into AMC. Oh my gosh. Uh, he did 85000 into Apple, which is, you know, that's actually right. not, a, that's not a bad um, bad choice. He's following Warren Buffett, mate. <laughs> yeah. He's a prodigy. 22000 yeah. into NVIDIA, uh, $700 into Tesla, uh, and then $800 into Cano Health, EA, and a bunch of other stocks as well. Right. Um, okay. Wow. That's crazy. So that is insane. Yeah, I mean, I was kind of, 
I was kind of surprised re- reading this because I didn't know that brokers would even do that, that they would even give credit up front, yeah. just assuming that you've been telling the truth on your application. I mean, as I said, he had nine cents in his account, so there was no actual mm. money at all. He didn't deposit any of his real money initially, and that kind of gave some credibility or anything like that. It was just a brand new account, 23 years old, lied on the application about his uh, income and, 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 and the deposit. Um, They've given him a a one hundred ninety nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine dollar and nine ninety one yeah. cent loan. Yeah. What's that leverage? What leverage is that? That's an insane <laughs> yeah. leverage ratio, like ten thousand. <laughs> <laughs> Ten thousand x margin leverage. Oh, that's hilarious. Um, oh, so, gosh. of course, the next day, uh, the deposit attempt failed, as you would expect. You're kidding? Yes, shock, shock <laughs> horror. They went to look in the vault. They op- they pulled open the vault, expecting to see millions of dollars, <laughs> and it was just a dusty floor <laughs> with some cobwebs and nine pennies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> the guy just like I just like to imagine an actual gut. person like opening the vault and be like. What have we done? <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's like it's like the uh, plot twist in a movie, you know. It was like Ocean's Eleven when the yes. bad guy goes <laughs> to open his vault and there's like nothing in there, just yeah. like nine pennies and a and a note or something. Yeah. And he's like, and that's the moment where the music plays, and he's like, "Oh no!" And then George <laughs> Clooney is like on a yacht, being like, oh, "I did it." <laughs> so true. Oh yeah. man. Um, so. Yeah, so the deposit failed. The broker immediately froze his account and liquidated the holdings, as you would expect. Um, the funny thing is, his investments for the one day that he that he had them were actually positive, um, but he was oh, of, damn. of course not allowed to keep any of the profits because they oh, were earned fraudulently. Boo. So yeah, um, sad sad news for for him, boo. which is kind of funny because in the end, it means the broker made about $7,000 in profit from this, from allowing this to happen. From this guy. Which, now that I think about it, maybe that's why they allow that. <laughs> like, they, they, maybe. they just... Uh, maybe they're actually... It's a, that maybe they're looking for the Warren Buffett prodigies out there, yeah, you know? Exactly. They knew this guy was going to have a profitable trade. So they were like, you know what? Just, yeah. just let him. Just let him do it. Just let him do it. No. I hope they at least, like, give him a, a plaque in their head office or something. Yeah. Like, come on. $7,000, you can, you can dedicate... The the Dayton Anthony Hall. <laughs> he gets his own or hall, something, does he? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh dear. He gets a hall. Oh man. Um so he gets a memorial bench. Yeah, yeah, you can get a bench out the front. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, in the park. <laughs> Um, so in total, uh, he made, uh, well, he didn't make, the broker made $4,700 on GameStop and uh, $1,600 on Apple <laughs> nice. and uh, $800 on NVIDIA. So nice. Good job to, uh, <laughs> good job to whoever let that application go through. Uh, two days. Yeah, they should get. They should get a bonus. Yeah, they should. They shouldn't be fired at all for allowing that to happen. They should. They should get a cut of the profit. I'd say. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. Uh, two days later, he was also fired from his uh, job for not showing up. I don't know if that was actually related to this. I guess maybe it was. But um, wait, Mr. Anthony was. Yeah. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah, he was. He was fired. Um, maybe he thought he'd struck it big, <laughs> and he didn't yeah. show up to work. Mm, um, maybe yeah and then of course he was investigated by the SEC um, so no, no surprise to anyone uh, the SEC said uh, uh, when asked why he made the one million dollar unfunded deposit without having funds to cover the transaction uh, Anthony excused his conduct as a joke and he said that he never really thought of it as fraud um, so yeah there you go he kind of just um, Damn. he kind of just thought he could do it and it kind of reminds me of all those people who were duplicating their money with that uh, robin hood era a while back mm. do you remember that yeah i think yeah. a lot of people didn't realize that they're actually just either committing fraud or, <laughs> or like they're gonna have their credit scores absolutely obliterated because it's gonna be on their permanent yeah. like thing this isn't just some kind of like random app like this isn't you know this isn't like yeah. v bucks in like uh on, on a game or something yeah, because I think a lot of them went into enormous amounts of debt. Yeah. on 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 those brokerage sites. I can't remember. I think that was a big story because unfortunately one one person commits suicide after being yeah. so 
losing out so heavily yeah. trading with money that wasn't theirs. Yeah, for context, for people wondering how that worked, basically Robinhood allowed people to have 2x margin, but every time you took on, which is kind of a loan, whenever every time you took on a loan and put it in your account, your account balance obviously went up and it and it used that number to figure out how much margin you could get. So you get put mm. in a 1,000 and then you get $1,000 in margin, so you have 2,000. And then they offer you another 2,000 in margin, so then yeah, now you have 4,000 and you could just, yeah. you just do this. It was just a, uh, an error in the dig, app. Dig, 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 dig. But yeah, it, um, mm. it led to some people taking on enormous amounts of debt that they definitely shouldn't have had. But yeah, as I said, yeah. this scheme actually has a name, even though it sounds like it's some stupid thing someone would just try and do. Yeah. And just it, it seems like that's what it was. He just thought it was like, he just tried to deposit a million dollars that he didn't have. Like it was just, a, mm. he was just being a, an idiot, I guess. But it is a real scheme. It's called a free riding scheme. Uh, and the idea behind it and how it would actually work um, – not that anyone should attempt this, please. Um, but you would make a false deposit, use the money to invest, and then get the money out uh, and, and back into your account before the uh, broker catches on and freezes your account. That's it's a genuine right. scheme that uh, can that people actually do in the SEC actually uh, investigates. Um, Right. So, Interesting. Yeah. There you go. I thought that was kind of funny. Um, you go. Yeah. We've, we, it's, it's been a while since we've had. I don't know. I feel like back in the Robin, when Robin Hood was really kicking off, we had a lot of silly Wall Street bets. People just a week. finding ridiculous little things like doing yeah. insane options calls that just obliterated yeah. their portfolios. <laughs> and this is yeah. kind of a, a window back into that. It's quite funny, really. Yeah. Oh, those were the days, weren't they, Hamish? Uh, yeah. Maybe <laughs> it'll come back. It's coming back. The IPO market is it's coming. coming back. It's coming, coming back, mate. <laughs> All right. Um, tell me quickly what's going on with the Australian inflation. Then we got to wrap up in uh, a couple of minutes as well. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Nothing too crazy to talk about here. Headline inflation declined to four point nine percent from five point four percent reported the month before. Uh, it's right. the lowest rate in uh, eighteen months. So, woohoo! Continues to get better and better and better. Core CPI or core inflation, which strips out the volatile uh, components. Um, was still worse, um, but did improve. It came in at 5.8% down from 6.1%. So core inflation is still quite bad, mm. um, 6, 6%, but it you know is coming coming down. It's just coming down really, really slowly. Um, less of a woohoo. Less of a woohoo. M- mild, yeah. mild woohoo. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yep. <laughs> uh, in terms Six of- out of 10 woohoo. <laughs> yeah. Six out of 10. Uh, yep. In terms of the biggest contributors, uh, housing, uh, Increased 7.3% year over year, uh, 5.9% from new dwellings, and 7.6% from rent. Uh, same Bang. as last month. Uh, food was up 5.6%. Electricity was up 15.7%. So electricity has been the big driver um, in, the, in the last mm, month or so. Wow. Plus 6% in July alone, which is enormous. Jeez. Um, so, yeah. That's crazy. That's a massive yeah. spike in July. Yeah, it's uh, that's an enormous year-over-year rate. If that obviously it's uh, it's not going to continue, yeah. but um, yeah, huge rate. Even still, crazy. Yeah, uh, automotive fuel uh, was down seven point six percent year-over-year, so it's kind of risen a little bit recently. So that figure has kind of um, gotten a little bit worse, but uh, but year-over-year right. it's still down. And then fruit and veg yep. down five point four percent year-over-year. There you go. Um, yeah. Right there. Yeah, interesting. Oh, I guess good headline coming down. Uh, yeah, that core inflation is still pretty high, though, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, not too much to say on this. Um, mm. Other than fingers crossed it keeps going down <laughs> because things are expensive over here, yeah. uh, as is the case all around the world, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, do you have anything to add? Nah, that's just about it. Nah, yeah, so uh, do we have time to for some Q&A? Yeah, let's do, let's do a couple questions. Let's do a couple all questions. Right. I always like to do a couple Q&A questions. Yeah, and, and as uh, always... By the um, way, yeah, yeah, sorry. <laughs> we both had the <laughs> same idea at the it. same time. Um, yeah, you we're, do it. we're always taking more questions. So if you have any, um, if you're on Spotify, just scroll up in the app and uh, you're able to ask your questions natively in there. Or uh, you're welcome to head over to the YouTube version of uh, the Young Investors uh, podcast channel uh, and just leave your questions as, the, uh, as a comment on the latest episode. Um, I'll ask this one um, to you. Uh, where sure. where do you, where should I start for you? What do you want me to say? I don't know. Do you want to let's this this is a massive one at the start. Let's do the massive one because it's okay. a wall of text, and we always avoid it because it's such a wall of text. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, See how you we go. haven't answered this before. No, I don't think we have. I don't think so. <clears throat> okay. No. Hey guys, great podcast. Well, thank you. Thank uh, you. Greetings from Iceland here. That's that's cool. Iceland. Yeah. Have, oh, have you been to Iceland? Cool. You, you haven't no, been anywhere besides the US. I've not been to Europe. Of, yeah, yeah. 
No, I haven't been to Iceland. Yeah. It's, it's definitely on my bucket list, that's for sure. Yeah, it'd be awesome. Um, I'm interested in hearing your thoughts about investing in new companies, uh, pre-profit and even pre-revenue. Uh, now I'm not now I'm not talking about tech unpredictable companies, but rather predictable companies with maybe uh, estimated capex and an existing market. Uh, for example, a new mine that costs X millions to get up and running and can produce Y amount of copper or any other resource. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can use dollar cost average to value these opportunities. Uh, discounted cash oh, sorry, flow. Discounted yeah. cash flow uh, to value these opportunities. Uh, but how do you account for the extra risk of it being a new company and what I would call uh, execution risk? Uh, yeah, I think that's the first right. question. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the, it is obviously very, very true. You can use discounted cash flow just to evaluate the expected return of any, you know, companies do it to estimate the returns of their investments going forward but uh, and you can do it on a new company as well and like sure that there are people that specialize in in things like mining and they can figure out like what grade of ores coming out of the ground how much it's going to take to get a mine up and running how much they're going to be able to pull out based on the you know geography and that kind of stuff and all of, all of the different tests that they do um so like I, i'm not saying there's not money to be made there um i don't have the faintest idea of how to evaluate those kind of projects. I don't work in that area, um, that kind of stuff. Um, I choose not to invest in very early stage companies. I have done in the past and I just got burnt and it's yeah. kind of left a bit of a scar, but it, it, it kind of taught me a lesson in that, you know, pre-revenue companies, um, companies that are pre-profit, that are new, that are you know just up and coming, they might hit it out the park. They might be the next Apple, um, but it's it's very hard to predict them what what their future cash flows are going to be. It's for me anyway. It's very hard to see to try and estimate what the future will be, and you know part of the Warren Buffett approach that I subscribe to is to find those opportunities where, you know the the you know you you, you can't be certain, but your predictions of the future are you know you're, you're quite confident in them um whereas i find that with these young companies i just really can't get a good grip on them um yeah not saying that you you know if you you know heaps about copper mining or gold mining or whatever and oh it's a new <clears> company they're going to set up this i know it's going to cost them x amount to set up this mine they're going to be able to drag out hundreds of millions of dollars of ore or whatever yeah that, that's great if you can do it um i can't i can't do it yeah, I mean, I think if you want to be confident that the company is going to be thriving over time, it has to have some kind of moat. And a lot of the time, you're going to be able to identify that moat from a business that has a long track record of demonstrating that they have that moat. It, it might, I'm, I'm not sure about this industry as well, um, but you know, mm-hmm. maybe it's the case that you can identify a moat before the company's even launched. Maybe, maybe that is true. Um, I don't know. Anything's possible. I've never seen it. Um, whether it comes to a, for a brand or, or scale economics, generally there has to be, you know, especially with a brand. Brand is a good example of one where it, you, you can't invest in a company and say that it has a brand moat before it's launched because yeah. a brand by definition ha- it has been established usually for multiple mm. decades. That's what a brand is. <laughs> so yeah. um, that's like a good example of a moat that, uh, well, it's maybe one way that you would uh, identify a stable company. Um, and you can't possibly invest in in new companies um, just based off brand simply by that. So that, that's the that's what you would have to think through: is can I identify some kind of moat, some kind of intrinsic pr- layer of protection? And personally, that's I've always looked for companies with you know twenty years or more even of track record before they yeah. even there's even really evidence that they have something that gives me confidence that of, that the business will keep going forward. Yeah, it's a good good point. The more history you have to look back at and say the more consistent that history presents to you, yeah. then the, the, that gives you the confidence to be able to model out um, into the future. Um, but without that history, it it becomes a bit of a juggle, like a bit of a guessing game. I'm not quite sure what's, what's going to happen in the future. Mm. But, um, ho- hopefully that helps. Again, I, I don't want to like poo-poo the idea, you know, if, if you can do it, then that's awesome. But um, yeah. Personally, I just don't. I just don't kind of stray into that area. Yeah, yeah. You can ask me the second part of the question. Um, I think it's actually a good question. Okay, sure. Well. Yeah, <clears throat> we'll finish up. Yeah, finish up after this one. Um, so, how also how do you plan for future dilution, mm. which is not always a negative? Yeah, that's yeah, an that's, interesting a, that's question. a good point. I, I think 
I think my answer to this and would be that I don't think you really can. I, I think this is probably another way, reason why I don't like new companies is, uh, and certainly unprofitable companies that need to dilute a lot is it's very difficult to figure out what are your shares going to be worth at the end of the day? When the dust settles, how many shares are they going to be? What is my yeah. piece of the pie as a percentage of ownership in the company? I think that's really difficult. Yeah. So I, that's again why I generally like to look at companies that are a bit older are not raising capital. So they're self-sustainable. So they're not raising capital anymore. They just run their own stuff and they even have excess capital to distribute, which is just kind of, you know, cherry on top of the cake as well. But yeah, yeah. The, I don't, my answer is I don't know um, how to deal with yeah. dilution. If companies are always diluting, I can't value them because I don't know what my share is going to be worth at the end of the day when they stop. Yeah, yeah. And for, for those that don't know, by this whole idea of dilution, we're talking about companies that are so small that they will eventually run out of money. They're, they're trying to do something. They'll run out of money. They'll need to raise more money by issuing new stocks. So, it, it, you know, they literally create new shares and then they sell them and they raise money that way. And that, that obviously creates a larger pool of total shares, which means that your percentage of the pie goes down so that's what we mean by dilution just raising money over time yeah but yeah I, I i'm the same and that's what stung me out actually in in one of the few early early investments it was sky uh what was it called sky space global mm. um they said they had enough money to do what they wanted to do um they didn't <laughs> and they just kept raising more money and people just yeah. kept getting more and more ticked off because they kept saying yeah we got enough money and then they would raise yeah oh we got enough money don't worry Another raise. Yeah. Management's paying themselves big fat bonuses. They're running low on cash. Another raise. Yeah. And investors just got fed up after a while because, yeah, they didn't show the results. Yeah. And, and I mean, the, anyway. same, the same thing happens yeah, with companies during the pandemic is companies that were loaded on debt and didn't have a cash buffer. Uh, when COVID hit, they had to raise capital and that killed a lot of shareholders. It, it, it diluted mm. them. Uh, whereas businesses that had a bit of cash around, no debts, they could weather a short period of, of tough time without diluting the shareholders without having to raise more capital. Yeah. And the difference is is night and day between the, the returns of those companies. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, crazy. All right, guys. Well, that will just about do us for today. Um, I actually have to run right now, so I'm going to wrap things up very quickly. <laughs> um, but yeah, make sure if you have a question, just drop it in the uh, comments of the most recent YouTube version of the podcast or ask it on uh, Spotify in the question box on Spotify. Um, but apart from that, thanks very much for tuning in. We ended up going for more than an hour. We thought we were going to run short on this episode. <laughs> yeah, but um, no, we ended up running very... Uh, there was a lot to talk about. We It's good when we start to just yarn on stuff as opposed to just getting through the yeah, news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, guys, thanks very much for tuning in. We do appreciate the hour of your time you give us each and every week. And with that said, we'll see you guys in the next one. See you guys. See you guys.